0: All right, so we're going to talk about um, some solutions. Some of you are itching for some solutions. Who went to the, uh, who heard Dr. Kent speak Friday? Who, anybody go? A couple of you. went? What did he talk about? What was the topic? that his critical thinking lecture was that what it was what's that oh yeah yeah so this is critical thinking lecture (coughs) so smart man he applied for a position here at Life University (laughs) they turned him down so he's starting at Sherman in two weeks yeah. What did he, want to do? he would have taken any position here. He just wants to teach at a school, be at a school. Sherman gave him a vice president position. Tremendous loss for us. I mean, w- without a doubt, uh, Dr. Kent, you know, I don't say stuff like this, you know, willy-nilly, uh, but Dr. Kent really is, he's the smartest person I've ever met in my life. I mean there might be smarter people out there but I haven't met them Uh, and he's certainly the smartest person in chiropractic there's no question about that so you got to wonder why they wouldn't give him a position here right gotta wonder the excuse they told him is that they abandoned the new curriculum Um, but the problem is that's not true so you know anyway we lost a good one. He's only going to be three hours away, so that's a good thing. Um, so we're going to talk about <clears throat> some things that can be done to solve some of these problems. Some disclaimers on this. You know, this is just the world according to McCoy. Okay. Um, I came up with the top ten list. I came up with a top ten list because. For many years, talking about the problems plaguing the profession, and people want solutions because there's this, there's this uh, nonsense, really, that people who you are complaining about, if you complain, what they'll say is, "Oh, don't complain. Bring solutions." Right? That bullshit, right? As if you're not allowed to recognize that there's a problem unless you have a solution, and that's just ridiculous, right? That's one of those stupid sayings that go on, uh, you know, on this planet, and especially within the profession. But nevertheless, I came up with, you know, what I thought would be some solutions. There's 10 of them because people like top 10 lists, right? Uh, I'm sure there's more than 10 things we can do, uh, but I put them all into 10. Uh, they don't go in the order, you know, like you know, like the David Letterman top ten list either. By the way, <laughs> so they're not necessarily in the order that they should be. Like with ten is the most important one. Actually, <clears throat> the first one is probably the most important one. <clears throat> don't be poor. The reality here is, if you've been paying attention and looking at what's going on here in the landscape of the profession and you know, I'm catching up in the discussion board and your posts, and <clears throat> it seems like some of you have figured some things out and understand that the situation is serious. Some of you are upset that you're just finding out about it now, and, and I get that. But on the other hand, I also, it's hard for me to feel too bad for you because you made a decision to get into a profession. You made a decision to spend eight years of your life. To become something didn't you do any investigation before you got into it right didn't you ask questions didn't you look things up on the Google didn't you you know I could go on right so nothing should be a surprise unless you've had your head buried in the sand for the past four years so um, so the number one thing on this list don 't be poor is there because if you know and this is a reality again that sometimes people don't like to hear, especially young people, especially millennials, that money makes the world go round. And I know that people don't like that. People don't like to hear that. It hurts your sensibilities, but it's the reality. That's just the way it is. So with money, you can do things. And so if you get out of here and you don't amass enough income or wealth, in order to either give back to the profession or to drive a political agenda, then what are you really going to be able to do other than one spot at a time there in your practice? And if you don't have enough money to get engaged politically, then you're probably not doing too good at one spot at a time either. So this has to be number one. And We'll get to the 300 visits in a second here, but, you know, somebody gave me some advice when I was much younger, like in my early 20s. He said, the best way to help poor people is to not be one of them. I mean, it's kind of a trite saying, but it's true, right? I mean, if you're poor, it's kind of hard to help people. If you've got some money, you can help people. It's amazing what a little bit of money can do in someone's life if, if you have a little to give them. Uh, to spread around so You know this this notion of don't be poor Is going to hit home with some of you and I and I know this because of reading your posts on the discussion board and What I can tell you is that there are some of you that Have to get their heads right with money you have to work on your relationship with money because some of you have a bad relationship with money based upon the comments that I'm reading all right there there is nothing worse than there's there's no greater pain than counting other people's money I can tell you this from experience right because somebody, unless you're Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, somebody's always going to have more money than you. Okay? Except for those two guys, right? Nobody's got more money than them. So, except maybe Putin. I think he's got more money than anybody. So, I would encourage you to work on your relationship with money because if you have a bad relationship with money, it's not going to end up in your pocket. And your relationship with money, if you were born in this country in a Judeo-Christian background, then you were sort of under the gun from the beginning, okay? Because to many people in this country and with that background, myself included, I was brought up this way. My father and mother grew up during the depression, and I mean the real depression, not the one we had a few years ago. I mean the real one. Right. The Great Depression. And so I grew up. How many of you have parents that grew up during the Great Depression? Okay, You see how few? Right. You see how young you are. Understand that if your parents didn't experience that, they may have a different perspective on money. But I can tell you the people that grew up during the Great Depression and their their children, who are really the baby boomers, have a different perspective on money because they didn't have it. You know, so I heard all these stories about eating potato soup, and there was no potatoes in the soup, you know? And so I grew up in that sort of background, the youngest of eight kids in an Irish Catholic family. My father worked two to three jobs on a regular basis, and my mother worked. I was pretty much raised by my grandmother, because my parents had to work to feed those eight kids. And money was always tight. Money was always scarce, right? I never, we never had our own clothes. Clothes were handed down to us. So if, you know, if the pants came up to you know mid calf, too bad. Go to school. Okay, don't complain. I'll never forget my first pair of eyeglasses. We got the frames from the flea market, and then we got the lenses from Sterling Optical in Flushing, New York. New York right, because we couldn't afford the frames. And it took a while before I even got the glasses. So I grew up in that environment and I grew up hearing my father and other people in, in my environment basically telling me and teaching me that the people who have money, they got it by doing bad things, right? They had to screw somebody over. If you got that much money, if you have money, you must have screwed somebody over. This was sort of the mentality, and some of the mentality that some of you grew up with. Some of you, especially in the millennial generations, had the attitude, you don't care about money. Uh, and some of you are of the Bernie Sanders ilk and think everybody should just give you their money. <laughs> you know, this, this country has a, has a reckoning coming to it. There's no question about it. You know, we got a lot of people in this country that don't want to work. <laughs> and who would who when, when why not right when they don't have to? I mean, you could sit home, get free Wi-Fi, free phones, and health care, and disability, and unemployment, and everything else, food stamps, and why go to work? <clears throat> Anybody, uh, any Howard Stern fans in here? All right, so. You know, Jeff the Drunk, right? <laughs> Look at, and what's the other guy? Uh, uh, high-pitch Eric, right? I mean, this guy's got his own chauffeur. Right? Is that impersonation we got? <laughs> 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 that guy's the best. Absolutely the best. <clears throat> and the, I know, the irony he's huge. Yeah. Uh, he's like, so yeah. Yeah. like, six foot five. Right. You know, all off taxpayer money, OK? So <clears throat> I'm going to encourage you very strongly to develop your relationship with money. Um, a couple of things I recommend is, is to understand something about money. You know, Money is like blood. Money has to flow. Uh, you have to be careful how hard you hang on to money, OK? Uh, sometimes the harder you hang on to it, the less like it is to come into your life. You know, I was talking about my family, my grandmother, my father's mother. <clears throat> you know, her, her thing her whole life, I can remember this as a young child all the way until she died. She, her, her solution, her plan, right, and, and money, you got to have a plan. Well, her plan was, and she talked about it all the time, her plan was she was gonna find a paper bag full of money at the bus stop or at the train station. That was her plan. She was convinced of it. She would pray about it. We'd go to St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan and light candles for it, right? she every time she'd come, she'd take the bus and the train to College Point, where we lived, uh, and she'd come in, she'd say, no bag of money today. And she was serious because she was looking for that. That was her plan. Other people's plans, lo- the lottery, they're going to win the lottery. That's their solution. Okay? Meanwhile, every day, the day goes by, another day goes by, another day goes by, another day goes by, and there's no plans on how you're going to help money flow into your life. So <clears throat> you got to have a plan for this. So the first rule is don't be poor. It says up there, get to 300 visits a week as quickly as possible. Why 300 visits a week? Why 300 visits a week? Understand it's all about ratios. So if we do a little math here, and I'm going to need some help from you guys because I'm bad at math, but so you guys help out. What's at, what do you think you what are you being told I should ask you're going to collect on average for an office visit? What are they telling you? $30 $50. That's quite a range, right? I didn't hear 10, so that's good. A what? doctor came in and she had shirt said Chris's $10. $10 chiropractic. There you go. Yeah. There's one on Facebook now. Uh, I forget the name or I tell you what it is um, I have to go back and look it up uh, but it's a $10 chiropractic office and it's in the flea market it's in the flea market yeah what's that no, well who knows what he's thinking so you're being told anywhere from thirty to fifty dollars okay so let's um Let's keep the math simple. Let's keep the odd numbers. Well, uh, 50 is an odd number, too, Um, or 5 is. Let's do 50, okay? Keep the math simple. So let's uh, let's hope that you're going to collect $50 a visit. All right, somebody do that math. 300 visits a week times $50. What is it? $15,000 a week, okay? But now what is that times 4? That's $60,000 a month. All right, so it's $60,000 a month. What is that a year? Here's where the math gets. What is it? $720,000. 720, See, some of you guys are good at math. $720,000, that's a lot of money, right? Unfortunately, other people want your money, even though you worked for it, OK? And I'm going to tell some of you that, that are hanging on to that sort of attitude that you know you deserve. This money and you know you have that Bernie Sanders mindset Um, you know nobody's coming to save you it's just not gonna happen so I'd be really careful hanging on to that mindset and the pain for you as a business owner if you get to the point you know and it's gonna be tough for you as a business owner if you have that mindset Because the two don't go hand in hand capitalism and socialism don't necessarily go well together as a philosophy in terms of running a business so if you want to be a small business person entrepreneur you know you're gonna need to understand capitalism and, and money and how it works and how it flows and value and all of these things and where it's going to become very very obvious to you and painful for you is and I've said this before in here is when you start writing those checks for payroll taxes. And the reason it's, how many have kids in here? A few of you have kids. And forget about yourself, you know, because at some point, hopefully, you get to a place in your life. I, you know, I, it just kind of happened. You know, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to it, but when you have a child, and mine's eight years old now, you get to a point where it's, it's not about you anymore. It just really is, and I really don't give a shit about myself anymore. It doesn't matter. I don't care about anything anymore, you know? I just don't care, and it's a great place to be in life, I got to tell you. (laughs) I mean, I'm all for this as a philosophy. Just don't give a shit, okay? But what I do care about is my son. I care about him and his future, you know? And so when, when you're writing those payroll taxes and you, and you understand that that money that you're writing that check for is going to other people that aren't working instead of your son, it's, it's so painful I can't even express it to you. It, it makes you angry, right? Because it's not right that you get up every day and you work and you bust your ass and then you're writing a check for somebody else. You know, so tax time is painful. wasn't too bad for me this year cuz I learned some painful lessons in previous years. So, we're at $720,000 a year. Was that the number? So, other people want some of that money. What is your overhead? What are they telling you kids your overhead is going to be? I heard 40%, I heard 50%. What are they telling? Aren't you guys taking business classes? What are they telling you? <laughs> They don't go into that. No numbers. No numbers. Business is all numbers. It's all ratios. You should should sit in one day one of our business classes.
1: Yeah, that's not going (laughs) to (laughs) happen.
0: If Swerdlick is teaching it, yeah, I'll sit in. Otherwise, I'm not going to waste my time. Right? You get to a point in your life where you just don't waste your time. You get to a point point in your life, especially business, where you recognize the shyster, you recognize the person who doesn't know what they're talking about pretty quickly, and so you avoid them, and you don't waste your time, you know? Because I hear this stuff all the time, you know, from students, like, well, I go because I can always learn something. I'll get some nugget of information, right? Well, you know, I think you can probably get a crust of bread out of the dumpster behind Publix, but I wouldn't suggest going digging through it. Right? There might be a better way to get those nuggets. Right? How about you get smart enough to know these people know what they're talking about, these people are idiots, I'm going to listen to these people. Right? That's what you need to do as quickly as possible, because there's no time to waste. Right? And I know many of you think you've got plenty of time because there is you know, more of your life in the windshield than there is in the rear mirror, but at some point that ratio is going to reverse. Right. And you're gonna be looking at more of your life in the rear of your mirror than the windshield right you're gonna learn that you got to quickly learn this stuff because there's no time to waste so <clears throat> let's say I, I would suggest to you that here's the thing if you're gonna have a an insurance practice if you're gonna have a practice where you are processing insurance for your patients then you need to expect your overhead to be about 70%. Okay? Now, if you get really good at it, you should be able to get it down to about 60%. But that's, I mean, we're talking about a, a smooth running machine at 60%. And the reason why that's shocking to you is because most of you don't understand what goes into processing an insurance claim and all of the man hours that are tied to that. Because if you're dealing with insurance, you're going to have to have staff. And if you have staff, that staff wants benefits, and they want vacation time, and they want days off, and their kids get sick, and all this other stuff, which means you'll probably hire a part-time person so that when the full-time person can't do their job, there's at least somebody there. Okay? And we're just talking about people that are just going to be pushing insurance claims. And if you have a cash practice, that could be totally different. Okay, because you don't have that administrative expense. So for sake of our discussion, we'll say 50% overhead. Okay, we'll be generous, keep the math simple, right? $50 a visit, 50% overhead. So what does that take our $720,000 down to? 360,000. 360, dollars okay. Now, <clears throat> Bernie Sanders wants some of that. <laughs> How if Bernie Sanders is president or Hillary's president, how much are they going to want? <laughs> well, let's and I, you know, I don't, I don't know what Trump is going to do if he gets, and I really, I don't think anybody really knows what he's going to do. <laughs> I mean, one day he's doing this, the next day he's doing that. I mean, I get a kick out of him. Don't get me wrong; I, I think it's entertaining. Um, because he's just—he's—he's he's just approaching this whole thing. Is this—it's just, it's just a big reality show. It really—and it really is, right? And he's the master at that. So, uh, let's suppose a Republican gets in. Okay, and we keep—let's keep our tax rate at thirty percent. Okay, so we'll—we'll we'll, we'll monkey with the numbers here a little bit. So what's—what does that leave us? We had three hundred and sixty thousand. Government wants thirty percent of that. What are we left with? Two hundred fifty-two thousand dollars. Okay, let's let's say two fifty. Okay, that's a good chunk of change, right? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, right? For most of you, you hear two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. It's like holy crap. That's I mean, you don't even know what you would do with that kind of money, all right? And when you think, and here's what I want you to understand. What percentage of the population, I think we talked about this first week, makes $250,000 a year or more? It's like in the 1%, right? I mean, we're talking about a small percentage of the population. So you have to ask yourself realistically, where am I on the normal distribution of income? Am I? Do I have the ability? Do I have the skills? Do I have the drive? Do I have the motivation, the intention, To bring in $250,000 a year and keep that money. Okay, that's the first thing. And then the second thing you have to realize is $250,000 a year isn't a lot of money. And I know that sounds shocking to many of you, right? What's he talking about? Well, it it seems like a lot of money to most of you because most of you have never made $250,000 in a year. Okay? So, when you put up the Bureau of Labor numbers at $70,000 a year, to some of you, you're like, whoa, you, you know, I struck gold $70,000 a year. So, you start talking quarter million dollars a year, and it's like you think people are nuts if they say that's not a lot of money, but you have to look at the reality of it. If you're making $250,000 a year, what most people do is they want to live a $250,000 a year lifestyle. So, you want to have the McMansion, you want to have the new car. You want to go on the vacations. You want the swimming pool. Your kids want to go to private school, OK? You got student loans to pay back, you see? So the, you know, in finance and accounting, there's debits and credits. <laughs> so yeah, let's credit yeah $250,000 this year. Oh, but what about all the debits that are going to be coming out of that? And what are you left with as a result? you know, with $250,000 a year, do you have enough to give back? Do you have enough to give back to the profession? Do you have enough to, to have enough money to drive a political agenda if you wanted to, okay? Even with $250,000 a year, you know, I can tell you, you're, and if you're making that kind of money, you're very picky about where to put that money. So let's get real about money, okay? One book I recommend uh, kind of a basic like a primer is uh, The richest man in Babylon anybody heard of that book Remember that book richest man in Babylon. It's a basic, right? It just teaches you things like, you know, you should save you should tithe you should invest Those sorts of things, right? You got to get those basics down before you get to the you know the real stuff and Understand accounting and finance and money. As I said, it's all about ratios. So, you know, you look at this number, you know, 300 visits a week. Whew, that's, uh, that's quite a task. And I'm telling you right now, that is quite a task. Three, seeing 300 people a week is, is, ain't easy. Because I'm not talking about 300 people a week that are paying $10 a visit. I'm talking about seeing 300 people a week that are paying $50 a visit. Okay? You can get 300 people people to walk through your door and adjust them, right, if it's free. Right? You can get thousands of people to come in for free. You could, hell, you could see thousands of people a week because you're seeing families, but the kids are free. Right? There's a business strategy treat kids for free, just like all the pediatricians do. (laughs) Pediatricians charge less or more to see kids. It's more, because children are more. Precious to us, so we're willing to spend more money. Not in Cairoland. In Cairoland, children aren't worth anything. Right? And we justify, chiropractors justify, but well, oh, because I got to save the world. I got to save these poor children. If I don't do it, they won't get chiropractic care. <laughs> they start to cry. This is what goes on in practice management groups. And you guys sit there, and you listen to it, and you take it, and you follow these directions. You take it as a business strategy. It's unbelievable. So understand its ratios. You think crunching 300 bones a week is hard work, and you don't want to work that hard, You know, because physically, taxing on your body. Okay? And you're going to go home tired. Your hands are going to hurt. Your feet are going to hurt. They're going to be swollen. Some of you are going to have more problems with swollen feet than others, depending upon the kind of shape you're in. Because you've got to be physically fit if you're going to crunch bones day in and day out at that level. Okay, I'm not talking about seeing 10 people a day or 20 people a day. Okay, we're talking about a busy day nonstop from 9 to 12 and 3 to 7 or 8. And then you've got your report of findings and everything else. So you're in the office late. You're working on weekends, things like that, OK? So if you don't like those numbers, just change the ratios. See 150 people a week. What do you got to do if you want to make $250,000 a year and see 150 people a week? Got to double your fee. This isn't rocket science. It's not rocket science. It's just numbers. And, it, and most of the time, it's simple math, Okay, addition and subtraction. You want to see make more? You want to make $500,000 a year? You could raise your fees, or you could see more people. Just got to decide which, which it is that you want to do. You can do it either way. There's no rules about this. One isn't better than the other. Okay? It's really what you wanted. As long as you're providing a legitimate service to somebody and actually helping them you know, ethically and morally, you're on good ground. And just a note here about. You know, service, and this whole notion of selfless service that you guys are fed on a regular basis, right? That you should serve people, and you should give out of abundance, and don't ask for anything in return, and all that sort of stuff. It's ridiculous. You want to help people, great, but you've got to have a business. I would suggest to you, don't give it away in your practice. Give it away someplace else. Go volunteer a half a day a week, you know, Thursday mornings, Thursday afternoons, or, you know, because Thursday is the chiropractic Sabbath, right? Chiropractors don't work on Thursdays. (laughs) (laughs) I do, too. So, you know, go volunteer at a homeless shelter. Go volunteer at foster shelters. You know, there are children in this state without homes, without parents. I've said it in here before, there's children in Atlanta that have AIDS and HIV that need caregivers. right, go do that. But the people that come into your office need to be coming in there and paying for your service. You know, I I can tell you I've done it all. I've made all the mistakes. So I'm not talking from a perspective from somebody that has done it right the whole time. I did it way wrong for a long period of time because I listened to people who were my mentors And I just did what they did for a long period of time. And I ended up with a lot of dead wood in my office. I ended up with a lot of dead wood in terms of patients, with staff, and all kinds of things. And luckily I turned that around for the most part before I left Florida and I went to Russia. But it was when I was in Russia that it really, the light bulb really went off for me. Because I opened up a for-profit clinic There. And to train doctors and train staff that it's okay to make people pay in a country that has socialized medicine, I mean, you can't imagine the struggle that it was to do this. I mean, I can remember, you know, when it reached its peak, uh, the accountant for the clinic and I got into it. I mean, it was heated, it was a heated argument, right? Things were never quite the same after that, but he got the message that this is a for-profit clinic, and we are charging these people. Right? Now, what you learn in a place like that is that people value your service. And so we would have hardship cases that came into this clinic. Right? My, my favorite hardship story, and I had it all. Right? We, had, we had these old babushkas that would bring me tomatoes, bring me eggs, and all this sort of stuff. We had a couple of we had one woman that she cleaned the office. That was her exchange of value for getting care in the office. I had uh, another older woman that did my laundry, cleaned my apartment, stuff like that in exchange because she had no other she had no other money. All right. and my favorite was I'm adjusting patients one day, and the CA, we didn't call her that, uh, the receptionist Natasha. Uh, comes back, and in broken English, tells me to come up front, right? The, I forget the guy's name, but this patient was up front, and he wanted to see me. I'm like, well, the rooms are full, you know, what, what's going on? She's like, you gotta come up front. So I come up front, and standing in the waiting room, keep in mind, the waiting room is full, it's not an empty, empty seat, and people are standing waiting to get seen, and this guy is standing in the middle of the waiting room with a big plastic bag, see-through plastic bag, with this huge fish in it. Filled, and the bag is filled with water. And he wanted to give me this fish because I took care of his son. His son uh, had come in to see us. His son was having headaches and some other stuff. And uh, we took some x-rays. I examined him. And something wasn't right, so we sent him out to have a CT done. Wanted MRI, but they didn't have MRIs there. Uh, And sure enough, he had a brain tumor. So they ended up doing surgery. Long story short, blah, blah, blah. He was very thankful for me. Right. So he's giving me this fish. But here's the thing. See, that was his family's dinner that night. He was giving me their dinner. You understand. Right. And, you know, and I, I, you know, I took the fish, but in my head, I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with this freaking fish? This is a live fish right I mean I know how to clean a fish my father taught me how to do that he was a scuba diver we did it all the time when I was young but you know I got older I have money I can buy fish in the supermarket I don't need to cut and fillet my own fish you know Uh, so I, I mean I took the fish I ended up giving it to Natasha and her family actually but I understood I began to understand value and appreciation for it and so when I got back to the States I ended up in Washington State and I was running a practice there, and this was in Kirkland, Washington. Anybody from Washington State, if I say the the name Kirkland as a city, understands those people have a little bit of money, right? In Kirkland, Washington. Uh, So, you know, we had all the Microsoft people and all the, you know, all of the tech people, you know, all these guys who worked from home that had, you know, pockets full of cash. Okay. And for the most part, they had no problem paying for their care. But every once in a while, we'd have somebody come in that you know would complain about the fees or ask for a discount. And I just told them my fish story. And I'd say, you know, that's a nice car you pulled up in. Because we had windows in all the, all, the, all the rooms so I could see the parking lot. Nice car you pulled up in. Nice shoes you're wearing. Nice clothes. Right? You eat out. You eat at restaurants, blah, blah, blah. I had no problem confronting that at that point. Right. Don't uh, there's there's no American in this country that can come to me and say, you know, unless they're they have some kind of disability or something like that. okay, And say that they can't afford your care. People can afford your care. They just don't have their priorities straight. okay. And our profession doesn't have cultural authority. Because if the thing we were talking about with these patients was cancer and not vertebral subluxation, there would be no discussion. Okay, you know I don't know too many oncologists that are giving away you know ten dollar chemo IV bags. You know, buy five get five free. Right? Get take a, a Groupon. Right? To the oncologist, it's ridiculous. So. Number one, don't be poor. Get to 300 visits a week as quickly as possible, or work those ratios so that you're comfortable with them. <clears throat> and you know, I mentioned Swerlick before. I mentioned him a few weeks ago because uh, I just I want to let you know that if you're going to come to me and ask me about practice management, people, because some of you are, and it always happens about this time of the year and about this time of the quarter as people get ready to graduate. You know, you bring me these contracts from these people, and I mean, it's unbelievable what what you people are willing to sign. It's just unbelievable. I, I have a word for you. It's called an attorney, okay? a, a smart attorney that understands business and contracts and is going to advise you not to sign some of these ridiculous things. right? You're $300,000 in, in student loan debt, and now you're going to sign up with some uh, practice management group uh, for, for them to put you in a practice for $300,000. And you're going to pay them a percentage of your practice over x period of time i mean what are you thinking or you're going to pay somebody a thousand dollars a month so that you can get on a phone call with them once a week and they can you know pump sunshine up your ass and rah rah you go you can do it i believe in you understand that once you start making it you still have to write them that check for thousand dollars you signed a contract And if there's anything more painful than writing checks for payroll taxes, it's writing checks to practice management people that you no longer need. And by that time, you've figured out that the stuff they're telling you to do is bullshit, Okay. So if you want to learn how to open up, get set up, open a practice, market it, then I would be talking to Swerdler. That's what I would do. Number two, investigate. It's a moral crime to support your own destruction. right, we're talking about top 10 things you can do to save the profession. It's a moral crime to support your own destruction, right? This is one of the reasons we've had you do, I've had you do these exercises in here where you're looking at all these different organizations in chiropractic and beginning to understand what their values are. And you have to start beginning to not just understand what their values are on paper, but what about in action? OK, because people say a lot of things, don't they? It doesn't necessarily mean that they do those things. Well, that's uh, Walt Whitman's uh, famous saying, right? What, what you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Because you know, people talk in this profession. Talk, 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 blah, blah, blah. Right, like Hotel Transylvania. I don't say blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's on our Netflix, right? <laughs> you know, I, open up, I open up Netflix, right? And it's all these kids' things, right? None of, all my shit's all at the bottom. <laughs> 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 yeah. So investigate. Understand that when you get out there, okay, you're going to join professional organizations, make sure they support your values you get out there, you're going to buy equipment. You're going to buy tables. You're going to buy malpractice insurance. You're going to buy face paper. You're going to buy diagnostic equipment. Well, what do those companies that you're writing these checks to, what do they support and what do they value? Where, what are they doing with the money you're giving them? Are they then using that money to support your destruction and your values, or are they supporting your values? The only way you're going to know, unfortunately, Is by getting involved and asking questions. That's the bottom line. Okay? It's a moral crime to support your own destruction. Get involved. Okay? You wanna change this profession, you gotta get involved. And, you know, reading through some of the posts, and there's, you know, some of you are calling each other out and saying, oh, you don't like it, why don't you do something about it? Well, amen. Amen. Here's the sad truth. Here's the sad truth. Most of you aren't going to do anything about it, you know? I mean, I've been here since 1999. So I've uh, seen about six or 7,000 students pass through my classes. Out of those six or 7,000 students, I'd say maybe a dozen have gotten involved in some way, shape, or form of politics, All right? I told you, my goals are not outrageous. You know, if, if, if I connect with one or two of you, I, I feel like I've accomplished something. And when I say connect, I mean not just that you, know, you sit there and you nod your head like a bobblehead and agree with me, right? That, that you then, when you leave here, you actually do something. You actually do get involved and do these things and seek these changes and understand It it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. Listen, if if you want drugs in the profession and you think we're primary care providers and you want to go that route, then you have a responsibility to pick up a shovel and help them build that model. If you don't think that's the way to go, then you got to get involved with the folks that are trying to stop that from happening. And the other thing you're gonna have to do, and this has been very difficult for me, and I've only just really begun to accept it. You know, it was for a long time I was just in denial about you That if you're, if you're on the more conservative, traditional side of the profession, you're going to have to get comfortable with the fact that you are not going to see the changes that need to happen in your lifetime. I'm not going to see them. OK? What I'm going to see is a continual degradation of the profession. OK, it's continuing to get worse. Things are continuing to get worse. OK, and eventually it's going to reach a point where it's either going to start to go in the other direction or it's going to really take a nosedive. So far, I don't see it really going in the other direction yet. All right, everybody know what's going on in Australia? We talked about Australia, right? Did you see the latest news about Australia, about that chiropractor that put that video up there? Yeah, he can't see kids anymore. How, is that? How can they do that? How could they do it? Because the, the board, a, and this is, you know, Pardon my my tone. It's not directed at you It's directed at the nonsense on social media about this where people are asking, you know, how can they do that? They can do it because the board in Australia said you can't do this and he did it Right. He's out there with a video saying that he can help these this kid with colic Well, the board said you can't say that So if you're gonna do something the board says you can't do You better have big cojones and a lot of money to fight them okay or be prepared to suffer the consequences okay and the reason why that's happening in australia we've you know we've touched on this is because the regulatory board in australia is run by the cartel in this profession the people who control the licensing in that country are part of the cartel and the associations don't have the balls to fight them and to do something about it they've gone along with it and then i just found out recently that the ICPA had offered with the Australian Spinal Research Foundation and the Australian Chiropractic Association several years ago to do safety and efficacy studies on children and chiropractic in Australia. And guess what they decided? The Aussies decided, no, we want to do more back pain research. So that's where they put their money. So it's, in, a, in, way, in a way, it's kind of hard to feel sorry for some of these people. And the issues in Australia really started a long time ago. The issues in Australia started probably back, I got here in 99. They probably started around 98, 99, around that time. There were these group of chiropractors. They're known as the Australian 32. And the board in Australia systematically made a decision that they wanted to stop the movement of subluxation-centered chiropractic in Australia. So they targeted these 32 chiropractors in Australia who they felt were the main people who were, gonna, who were driving this. And systematically, one by one, they brought up charges against them and either took their licenses away from them or put sanctions strict enough that they just stopped doing it. Some of them left the country. And so since that time, you know, they have just consolidated control in that country. OK, so you have to get involved. Okay, Get involved locally, join your state association, attend their board meetings, get on a committee. State association, make sure you understand when we talk about this, that this is the trade association. Okay, This is like in Georgia, we have two. I'm convinced at this point we need three because the GCC is really not doing much of anything except whatever the ICA tells them to do, and that's a concern. Okay? I, I'm not a member of the GCC because they are affiliated with the ICA. I'm a member of the GCC because I want them to re- represent my interest in the state of Georgia. Unfortunately, they're not doing that. And that doesn't mean I'm going to join the GCA because that's from the frying pan into the fire. I'm thinking there needs to be another organization at this point. This is the trade association that represents your financial interests. Okay. So be very careful about which one you join. Do they represent your values? And are they representing your values just on paper, or are they representing your values in action as well? Okay? And the only way you're going to know about that is getting involved and going to their meetings and finding out what they're doing in terms of taking action as opposed to what they have on paper. And if you're a member of an state association, you can attend their board meetings. These are open to the members. Now, they can go into um, private session. They have that right. It's going to be in their bylaws that they can go into you know, a closed session to discuss sensitive topics or to discuss their finances and things like that. And then they can ask you to leave at that point. They can do that. I would try to stay if I was you. And I, and I would wonder why they want me out of the room so badly when they're about to talk about money. I'm a dues-paying member of this organization, and you don't want me to know your discussions about the money that, that you have because I'm a member. Why? So I'd be a little concerned about that. Okay, But join a state association that represents your values. Keep your eye on things attend your state board meetings so this one was state association that's trade organizations okay this one is state board regulatory board this is licensing these are the people who control your license so you should have figured out that by this point in this course with all the readings that the control that the cartel has over the profession and the monopoly that it has as a result of that is because of its control of the education and licensing functions of the profession. You cannot get a license to practice chiropractic in this country, except for a few states, unless you graduate from a school that's accredited by the Council on Chiropractic Education. It's a monopoly. OK? The United States federal government said that, not me. Okay? We talked about that. So understand where that locus of control is. So all of these state boards are controlled by people who are moving the profession into a medically oriented uh, profession okay? model. And so if we're going to change that, and if we're going to remove CCE only language from the states, then we're going to have to get people on the board so that we have the majority of the votes so those things can be changed. OK, so you can cert- should certainly attend these meetings so that you know what's going on. But you also need to get on the board, because attending them doesn't give you a voice. Attending them just you know, lets you know what's going on so you can tell other people about it. And the same rule applies here even more so than the associations in these state board meetings. They have, Generally, they have four of these a year. They are open to the public. OK? Anybody can go. They can't kick you out. You can go and bring a video camera. You can record the whole thing. They can't stop you. OK? There's something called open records laws and open meetings laws in every state in this country. They're not allowed to hide that stuff from you. And I'll, I'll give you an example of how far this, this goes. If people are on a board, a state regulatory board, let's, let's pretend uh, we'll make up a state we're not in so that People don't say I was accusing the Georgia board or something. Um, Let's say you were in Montana, and you wanted to find out something about some decision. Let's say that that state board was trying to expand the scope of practice, and you wanted to find out more about that. Well, you can request through the Freedom of Information Act in that state very specific things. You can write a letter, and you can tell them all of the documents that you want related to this change of scope of practice. Okay, but understand how broad this goes. It doesn't just mean like the minutes of the board meetings and documents related to that. It also means that if I'm on the board and Caleb's on the board and we're texting each other on our own phones on our own time, but it has to do with board business, that's subject to the open records law. So like when I write a FOIA request to these states and I request this stuff like I just did in New York, I request specifically that this includes text, emails, Facebook, social media between board members on this topic. Okay. Now, of course, lots of stuff gets deleted in the hope that, well, nobody will ever find it. But the point is that you're asking for it. Okay. And if things really did get bad and stuff was subpoenaed, like phone records and things like that, well, then somebody's in a lot of trouble, because now they didn't turn that stuff over during a bona fide request uh, under the Freedom of Information Act. Okay? So that's how far this stuff goes. So go to these meetings. My advice is don't go alone. Don't go alone. Bring friends. Surround yourself with people. Because it's like anything else in politics. It's just like the wild, right? I grew up uh, watching Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Who's old enough for that? Oh, isn't it sad we're that old? (laughs) So the biggest lesson that I've ever learned from that show has to do with the wildebeest, right? and the cheetah. Because what does that cheetah do? Does that cheetah go into the heart of the herd? I don't know if they're herds of wildebeest or what they call them, but I'm going to call them a herd. Right? Does he go in the heart of the herd of the wildebeest to get his dinner? No. He scopes them out. He looks for the one that's injured. He looks for the baby wildebeest for his dinner. right? So there's strength in numbers. You want to get involved in politics, I can tell you from very painful experiences, make sure you got a few people behind you, okay? Because there's nothing worse than being involved in a street fight, and you look around, and your posse's gone, (laughs) right? And that's generally what happens in this world, right? People talk, 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 talk. Then when it comes time for brass knuckles, everybody goes home, right? The going gets tough. So attend these board meetings, find out what's going on. If people had been attending the New Mexico Board of Chiropractic Examiners meetings, we would have known ahead of time that they were trying to bring drugs into the profession. But nobody was going to the meetings except the people that that's what they wanted. So we woke up one day, all of a sudden, there's drugs in chiropractic. And everybody's scratching their head, like the Australia thing. Oh, how did this happen? I mean, at this point, you guys know how all this stuff happened, right? I showed you the the Bronford Report. In the UK and all that stuff that happened there was the basis for all this stuff that's going on in Australia and the sad reality is you know chiropractors in this country they're looking at Australia like oh my god that's so messed up they don't understand that it's happening here too it's the same thing is happening here the only reason it's not as big news is because we have 50 regulatory boards not just one so it doesn't get the same attention but I can promise it's happening here I could talk about at least a half a dozen cases off the top of my head that are active right now that involve similar things as to what's going on in Australia. So keep your eye on things. So the uh, state board's down in Macon? It's in Macon, yep. Um, and you said it's times to you? Yep. Yeah, get yourself a bus. Right? Go on down. Attend the meetings you know and this is the other thing I didn't mention <clears throat> you don't have anything to wait for to get involved I, I'll bet you that there's things going on on this campus right now that upset you that you're not doing anything about Right? some of you it's me <laughs> <laughs> yeah some of you some of you yeah I, I get it it's okay we'll see what happens But there's stuff going on right now. This isn't like you have to wait six months or wait a year. You got stuff you don't like that's going on, we'll do something about it. Okay. So get involved globally. Join an international association or a national association. We talked about state boards. We talked about state associations. Well, what about international? What about a national trade organization? You need to find one. You need to pick one that represents your value. Okay, and like I said, depending where, where are you on the spectrum? Okay, and get involved. Same thing, go to their meetings. Attend their board meetings. Find out what they're really doing. Is what they're, is, are their actions consistent with their policies? You know, if you belong to an association and you think that this organization, it, its focus is vertebral subluxation, and then you get their email newsletter, and the banner ad is the TENS units and all this other crap, well, what? it doesn't make any sense. Right? It's incongruent. It's a contradiction. So join one that represents your values. You knew this one was in there, right? <clears throat> I won't spend a lot of time on this, because you should know this at this point. You know, if we're going to turn this thing around, and as I said, you have we have to start thinking generationally. Okay, it's going to probably take three or four generations, if not six, of chiropractors in the future. If we make it that long, there's enough of us around to turn this thing around, right? To get control of the state boards, to get control of these organizations, to get control of the licensing and educational functions of the profession, and turn this thing around and right the ship. But one of the things that's going to be needed to do that is research. We're going to need research. That guy can't see kids anymore because we don't have the research to support that. Okay? I mean, there's lots of other nuance to this, but you get the point. But research alone is not enough. You can have all the research you want. If nobody knows about it, what good is it going to do you? That's where somebody like Swerdlick comes in. He understands that. He understands the science of marketing. problem is nobody wants to listen to him, because you know, they all know what they're doing. They don't need any help. Right? So donate, every money, uh, donate money every year to a research cause, right? Because you're going to be making a quarter million dollars a year. We just did the math. So you'll have at least 1000 bucks left over to give away, right? Ignorance is not bliss. Anybody see Obama's speech at Rutgers yesterday? Anybody see it or hear it? Anybody? Yeah, a couple of you. He was talking about ignorance. He said ignorance is not a virtue. Now, we, have a lot, we have a lot of people, and this happens in chiropractic, right? I mean, people in chiropractic brag that they block out their educated. Who does that? I mean, so when I was listening to Obama's speech, I'm like, he's talking about chiropractors. He's talking about people that brag that they're ignorant. That's not a good thing. And, you know, I wrestle with this, to be honest with you. Because the phrase is, ignorance is bliss, right? That's the colloquialism. Because if you don't know about it, your life is fine. It's not affecting you. What do you care? Right? And I wrestle with this because there's a large part of me, especially at this point in my life, where I don't need any of this nonsense, that I just figured you know what the hell do I care what happens after I'm gone you know the only thing I care about is my kid so what the hell with the rest of it unfortunately I'm just not wired that way so uh, you know so ignorance is not bliss ignorance is not a virtue you, you got to know what you're talking about and the only way you're gonna know what you're talking about is to read take continuing education courses things of that nature you want to know what's going on in this profession. Unfortunately, you've got to read the trade magazines. you got to read all that garbage that comes to you in the mail even though you don't ask for it. Right? And the, the good news is you know, I use the term read you know, lightly because there's not a lot of big words in these things. Okay? There's not a lot of complicated stuff in there. Most of the stuff that you get from chiropractic trade magazines are infomercials. Okay, the article is written because somebody paid to write the article. That's all it is. It's, it's not, you know, it's a pay-to-play system in the chiropractic profession. I mean, it's, this goes on everywhere, but especially in our profession, because the only people that have anything to sell chiropractors are the people that are pushing some type of vitamins or some type of instrument or some type of weight loss program or something else. Okay. So, you can go through these things pretty quickly and find out who the players are, who's got the money, where are they spending the money, that sort of stuff. You know, that's quick reading. You know, and then you get stuff like Senzon's article, you know, where, holy crap, you know, you get an ice cream headache just reading the opening paragraphs of it, you know. But those are the things you got to read as well. You got to read the hard stuff. The people that are connecting these dots for you that you understand politically what the (coughs) landscape looks like. Very important. Ignorance is not bliss. A little bit of laughter (laughs) at number eight. Isn't that something that so many of you chuckled. Donate money every year to your alma mater, right? Many of you, if not most of you, at this point have the attitude that when you get out of here, you're never looking back. And I have read and heard many of you say, I'm never given a dime to that place, right? Have you heard this? Yeah yeah it's been going on a long time at your alma mater and you need to remember something when you graduate from here and you get that diploma it's going to say Life University College of Chiropractic on it. there ain't nothing you can do to change that this will always be your alma mater you can either be proud of your alma mater or not and the sad thing is that You know, we have, I think, 20,000 graduates. 20,000 graduates. Where are they? Where's their donations? You know, when we went through the accreditation crisis, that's when I became acutely aware of some of the anger that people had towards their alma mater because we were in dire straits. Financially, I mean, we, this place was shutting down. I can't express to you enough. It was shutting down. Okay, And there were, there were a few groups you know, of alumni that got together and donated some money, but I'm talking a few. The rest of the alumni, 18,000, whatever the number is, was silent. And many of the alumni were saying things like, well, it's about time. About time somebody shut that place down, it was only a matter of time, people were saying. I saw it when I went to school here. You know, the same sort of attitude. And you know, listen, you tell me if I'm talking out of school, you tell me if I have this wrong, but here's, here's, here's my impression of what happens. You get here, you get to Chiropractic Island, you arrive here, you're coming off the boat, you got your, you know, your swimmies on, and, just ready to go <laughs> can't wait Gonna be a chiropractor, right? Just can't believe it. You're just walking around like a, pinching yourself and You get to first quarter second quarter third quarter, right? You're taking hits left and right <laughs> <coughs> And you get to around I mean it's different for everybody for me, it was around fourth fifth quarter I think that's generally where it is, somewhere around fourth, fifth quarter, where people start to take on the attitude that you're going to stay below the radar, right? You're just going to show me where the next hoop is, and I'm going to jump through it. You stop complaining, or you complain, but you don't do anything about it. <coughs> I know something happens to you in financial aid. Some professor, you know, who, who knows who, pisses you off. Hold you to a standard, oh my god, lions and tigers and bears. Don't hold me accountable, Dr. McCoy. How dare you? But something happened in your experience. Am I, am I saying anything that you've experienced, heard? OK, just want to make sure. Well, I got news for you, that's been the same for as long as I've been around this institution. And I've been around this institution for a long time. My brother was in the second graduating class of this institution. So I've been around it a long time. And even while I was a student, there was that attitude. And that has to change. you got to let that go. And for some of you, it's going to be tough but I think it's just a matter of you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. You're just looking at it from the wrong direction. Okay? This institution doesn't belong to any one person. This institution doesn't belong to the president. This institution doesn't belong to the board of trustees. It doesn't belong to the vice president, the provost or the deans. This institution belongs to its alumni. And even more specifically, this institution belongs to the sick and suffering people that its alumni are taking care of in their practices every day. That's who this institution belongs to. Just look at the mission. It says it in there in so many words. Okay. That certain people or groups of people have seized upon this place and are operating it as their own piggy bank, that's another issue. And you should be pissed about that as an alumni of the institution. You should do something about that as an alumni of the institution, because this is your institution, and it's going to say Life University College of Chiropractic on your diploma until the day you die. There's nothing you can do about that. You'll notice on here, I said donate money. I didn't say write a check to the general fund. I'm not telling you to do that. I would never tell you to do that. OK, I would say write a check and earmark that money towards something that you decide it should be spent on. You can do that. You can tell them how to spend your donation. Okay. So listen, if you're happy with writing a check for a brick, with your name on it, so you can come up here during false CE and look around. Where's my, my brick is somewhere. I wrote him a check. Oh, my brick, let me take a selfie with my brick. Here we go, oh, hey, everybody. I got a brick, my name on it. Who does this? You really, I mean, that's really what you want, a brick with your name. I'm gonna tell you something. They would've put the brick there anyway. (laughs) They wouldn't have left a hole. Okay, so your brick isn't making a difference going into the general fund. I would suggest that you give that money to students. Okay, you're going to be making a quarter million dollars a year living in a McMansion. Give that $1,000 a year to a student. Is there anybody in here that could use a $1,000 extra this quarter? No, you guys got plenty of money, right? You can set up your own scholarship. You can manage it yourself, or you can have the school manage it. You can decide which of those you want to do, but you can decide where that money goes. That's what I do. I don't write money to the general fund. I give my money directly to students in one way, shape, or form. Right? So you won't see my name on that roster that comes out every alumni newsletter. Okay? I Actually, I, I take that back. My name will be on it because I gave a dollar. I gave a dollar. Because we had to. Because people come around to our offices and tell us, oh, you know, we're checking off, and we see you didn't donate anything this year. It's got a dollar bill. Here you go. I have a letter. Thank you for your $1 donation. (laughs) (laughs) So change your perspective on this. This is your school. Have some ownership of it. Take some ownership of it. And as I said before, get involved now. There's a student council, there's a newspaper. I mean, listen, if you really get jazzed about gluten free recipes in your student newspaper, you know, okay. But I'd suggest go down to Emory and pick up a copy of their student newspaper and see what kind of articles are being written by the students at that institution. Speaking truth to power. There's no speaking truth to power at this place. Nobody does it. It's about time people started doing it. You know, because with all of its flaws that people see, okay, there, there is value in this institution. There are values that this institution represents through the people that founded it. Now, that people may not be espousing those values these days, that's our fault collectively. And you want to see how deep this goes? Contact the Alumni Association, ask for a copy of the bylaws and constitution of the Alumni Association of Life University, and then sit down and read it. And I'm not going to, no spoiler alert. Okay, just sit down and read it. And see what your alumni association, what those bylaws say. The bottom line is, when you read it, you'll quickly realize that there is no alumni association. It's a facade. It's a facade with the push of one domino, it no longer exists. And that's by design. Because if you understand politics in this profession, you would know that within the past few years, Alumni associations at at least a couple of the schools Palmer and Logan Tried to do something about the directions their institutions were going in and the administration disbanded their alumni associations Palmer they were kicked off campus Logan they were kicked off campus right Palmer and their Alumni Association just recently settled a lawsuit between the two that started back in the early part of 2000s Okay It's your Alumni Association Look at their bylaws in the Constitution. Okay? And look at what you have to do to get on the board. What do you think you have to do to get on the board of the Alumni Association? Thank you you got to donate money. You got to donate money and refer students. Right. So I know this is painful for some of you, but I, I'm, I'm begging you as soon-to-be alumni of this institution. You know, in, in, for some of you, in a few weeks, you're going you're gonna to start on that side of the stage, right? You're going you're gonna to be lining up. Have, have you had your rehearsal yet? No? And we'll do it, your rehearsal. So you're going to line up. You know, you, you, when your rose called, you're going to come. You're going to line up over here. Dr. Roche is going to call your name. You're going to be so proud. Women with the high heels like, <laughs> like this. You guys clean up well, I'm telling you that much. Walk across that stage. They're going to fix your thing in the back, whatever that's called. And come over here. You're going to take your picture with Guy. And you're going to come down here. And on the other side, guess who's waiting for you on the other side? The president of the Alumni Association. Welcome. OK, that's, how, that's it. That's, that's your graduation. They'll give you a little cup, I think, the school's logo on it. So reframe how you look at this. We talked about reading. We talked about ignorance. You're going to have to continue learning, Okay, It it isn't over. It wasn't over in first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, 12th quarter. It's not over in 15th quarter either. It's never over. I mean, you want to keep up with this stuff, especially as doctors. Anybody can look anything up on the internet and diagnose themselves and find out about you and about chiropractic and about their problems. You gotta be ahead of them. You gotta know more than them. Continue your education. Get involved in our country's politics is number 10, right? We talked about getting involved locally with your state board. By the way, let's backtrack for a second. State boards. I said that you should try to get on your state board. How do you get on your state board? What's that? Be friends with the governor, what Caleb said. Be friends with the governor. How do you be friends with the governor? You give him money. You give him money, Okay. Remember, I, I know, as I said at the beginning, when we started talking about money, many of you wouldn't like this, but that's just the reality. Money makes the world go round. Money greases palms. Money makes things happen. And in this country, you know, we can't do what we did in Russia. When I, when I was in Russia and I needed something done, I took an envelope with money in it, and I went to whoever I needed something from, and I gave them the envelope of money, and they did whatever I needed them to do. That's how it worked, it was beautiful, right? I had to get, uh, in order for me to practice there, I had to, and any of you that are from sort of, you know, the, 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 uh, from Russia or any of the Slavic countries uh, like that, you understand the way that they do things medically is like if you're gonna get employment or something, you go and you have to see every single specialist known to man Right and have their exam and get signed off and all that sort of stuff. Right, so <clears throat> I had to do that in order to practice there, and the uh, the neurologist that was working with me to get the clinic started and everything, his name was Kirill, and he had arranged all this stuff, and we're on our way that day. Right, it was going to be a whole day affair, and. <clears throat> He tells me in the van, right? We'd already been to a couple of the doctors, like the primary care or the cardiologist, whatever. Now we were going to the infectious disease doctor. Okay, so he tells me in the van on the way to the infectious disease doctor, he said, you know, you have to be vaccinated. And I just said, I said, well, I said, that's not happening. And he said, oh, I know. He said, I already took care of it. And he gives me an envelope with $1,000 in it. Right? And he explains to me when to give it to him, how to give it to him, what to say to him, and all that kind of stuff. Right? So we did that. And you know, he gave, he gave the vaccine to me, but he missed. <laughs> right? So you can't do that in the United States. I mean, you can, but you probably don't want to. right? So in this country, you give the money to the PAC, to the political action groups that support the governor or the senator or the congressman. But if you want to get on the state board, in these states, the governor appoints members of the board, so you've got to get to know the governor. And unfortunately, the cartel in this country has gotten to know all the governors and all the senators and congressmen, so they're greasing those wheels and they're getting their, their people on these boards. Now, if I had to say that there was some light at the end of the tunnel, uh, what I am seeing over the past five years is I'm seeing more subluxation-centered chiropractors that haven't you know, given into the dark side getting onto state boards. Uh, in fact, I know of two states. Uh, and there's a third and I, I'm not going to mention their names because I don't want to attract attention to it but I know of three states that two of them have already done it one of them is in the process of doing it and there's actually a fourth that's in the process of doing it where they're repealing the CC only language they're removing it they have enough votes on the board to get rid of that language okay so I'm seeing you know slivers of these changes but that's because people have done these things they've gotten to know their governors Okay. How do you get to know your governor? You have a fundraiser for your governor, right? You donate to the governor, whatever the amount is that you want to donate. And then you have your friends donate to the governor. So you got this big McMansion, right? It's springtime. It's perfect time for barbecues outdoors in your big yard with your three, four acres. Okay? So you have the governor over and you invite 100 chiropractors over. each, $100 each, whatever the fee is, right? They get to sit and have barbecue with the governor. And then while everybody's eating barbecue, the governor gets up and gives you his spiel and why you should vote for him and blah, blah, blah. Okay? And you give that money to that PAC. But now you have his ear, so now you tell him what your legislative agenda is. What are you concerned about? Are you concerned about these other groups in the profession that are trying to, you know, if you're in Wisconsin right now and you have the board that's moving towards primary care and drugs in the profession, <clears throat> do you have enough chiropractors that have donated enough money to the governor that you can get his attention to say, "Hey, you got to put a stop to this?" Well, it doesn't look that way in Wisconsin. It looks like the cartel is 100% in charge. So you got to get you got to get to know your governor. And beyond getting, in, getting to know your governor, I mean, that's more local stuff. Get to know your congressman and your senator. Donate to his campaign. Go to his office here in Georgia or whatever state you're in. Let him know what the legislative agenda is of the National Association that you're supporting. Explain to him the particulars of that legislative agenda. And don't just leave it there in that state. Make sure you take a trip to Washington, D.C. and show up in his office. Because imagine his surprise. He just spoke to you a few months ago in Georgia, and now you came, you came all the way up here to see me and talk about this? You must be special. Because not too many of his constituents do that. I mean, you can be sure the cartel is doing that, but what we need is more people on our side that are doing that in the profession. So get involved in the politics of our country. And, you know, beyond chiropractic, right, there's the whole bigger thing, and this is a great time to be paying attention to politics because we've got quite a sideshow going on. You know, and part of it, when you when you watch that, I mean if you're if you're a caring, thinking human being, you have to watch the political process and get disgusted by it. Because if you don't, there's probably something wrong with you. Right? I mean, it's really disgusting what goes on politically. Never mind in chiropractic, but even the bigger picture in this country. Okay? <clears throat> So get to 300 visits a week as quick as possible. It's a moral crime to support your own destruction. Join your state association. Attend your state board meetings. Get on the board. Join a national chiropractic association. Donate every money, every, uh, money every year to a chiropractic cause in terms of research. Read, because ignorance is not bliss. Donate, every, uh, donate money every year to your alma mater. Support your alma mater. Continue your education and get involved in politics. Any questions about any of that? So, Juan, you had your hand up before, was I ignoring you? Oh, no, you're, you're, you're good. We're I good? Was, when you about donating, I was like asking about donating to students versus a run by, I mean, versus the university, because you just mentioned they wouldn't hire somebody like Dr. Kent, so I'm like, I'm kind of averse to like, giving them something that they wouldn't hire a right, So I cleared that up, right? You can, you can direct that money, okay? There is. There is the, um, uh, let's see, uh, the, the umbrella group is called the sustainability group. I forget what the uh, off the top of my head what the actual name of the um, accrediting agency is. But the bottom line is it's a resurrection of, the, of SCASA. It's a resurrection of the Straight Chiropractic Academic Standards Association. Uh, you know, funny thing is that that corporation was never dissolved. So somebody had the wherewithal to keep that corporation alive all these years, even after it was shut down, and so it has been resurrected. It has a board. It's been having meetings, uh, and there is somewhat of an agenda on the table in terms of establishing a second, uh, you know, an alternative accrediting agency. Okay. What do you if schools started actually taking on the accrediting? Well, that's the problem this is the problem so i want you to imagine for a second that there's a second accrediting agency to cce what is the motivation for any school to seek their accreditation there isn't okay because cce controls licensing in in every state so the the idea is for now to have this accrediting this other accrediting association sort of put a good housekeeping seal of approval on those schools that want to seek accreditation with them to show that they are centered on vertebral subluxation, that that's the focus of the educational process as opposed to primary care. Okay. But who's going to be first? Right? Who's going to be the first school to step up and say, OK, we'll, you know, we'll be first? Because they're going to be being watched by the CCE. Zach? Uh, that what? Was present at, our at national boards, <laughs> 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 I like that. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you paid for her trip, Catrice. <laughs> 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 Well, if you if you donate to the school, it's a write-off because the school is a nonprofit. If you give your money directly to a student, it's not a write-off. See what I mean? So if you establish the scholarship and you write the check to the school, and then the school administers that scholarship, you could do a write-off. If you don't want the school involved at all, then you know you'd either either have to set up your own you know nonprofit and donate through that, or it's not going to be a write-off for you. I mean you might be able to get away with doing it as like a business expense if you had the student do something for you. You know, that was work-related or something like that. There's another hand up, Zach? Uh, what do you suggest if there's only one state association and you don't particularly agree with their viewpoint on the So if you don't agree, if there's only one state association and you don't agree with their agenda then you really only have two options as far as I can see. You either do what has always been done and expect different results, which is join them and try to change them from within. That has not worked. That's been a miserable failure. Okay? I listened to my mentors tell me that that was the way to go for many years before I realized that that was a fool's errand. So you could try to do that, or you could start a new organization. Right? I mean, it's not complicated to start a new organization. You could Get online right now. Uh, in Georgia, and have a new corporation association formed. Uh, if you want to pay uh, uh, expedited processing fee, it would be immediate. All right? If you want to wait a th- three or four days, it'll be like a hundred bucks. All right? So it's not complicated. You know, you need bylaws and a constitution. You know, you need a board of directors, but that's it. You got yourself an association. You know, don't worry about members because nobody belongs to chiropractic organizations anyway. So. You know, the members will come later, you know, but you gotta have the organization set up. All right, anything else, Ross? That's a good question. (laughs) That's a good question, and and no joke as a response. I ask myself that every day. I really do. Um, You know, when we were going through the accreditation crisis, you know, things were very bad around here uh, during that time. I mean, you you have to imagine 4,000 students, and then you're down to 300 quick. Right, so this place was—it was eerie. It was—it was like a haunted house almost. I mean, it was very strange around here. The—the—the the, the energy, you know, whoo, the energy was weird. Okay, uh, I mean, you could park wherever you wanted. <laughs> that was a good thing. No parking problems. <clears throat> um, you know, and, and I can remember sitting in my office. I was in the clinic at the time, a clinic doctor at the time, and we had advisees and. You know, students, my advisees and other students, you know, everybody's trying to figure out what to do. You know, it's like, you know, when the Titanic is, you all have seen the movie The Titanic. You know, Titanic is thinking some people are playing music, other people are, you know, uh, uh, having cocktails and all kinds of stuff, right? Other people are trying to get off the ship, right? So that's akin to what was going on around here. there's water in the hallways and you know people are coming to us and asking for advice should we leave should we stay should we transfer I mean it was heartbreaking I mean I had grown adults you know in tears because they couldn't leave even if they wanted to because they had a wife they had kids they had a house whatever they couldn't just up and up and leave you know those that could that's what they did those that couldn't had to stick around or they just left completely and went into some other field you know, and I can remember sitting there and being asked these kinds of, kinds of questions from students, like, What are you still doing here? I had presidents from other schools calling me up, offering me jobs and positions. And, 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 you know, very, you know, they beat around the bush for a while, but at some point in the conversation, they were like, Why are you staying there? You guys are shutting down. It's, you're not going to survive this, you know? I mean, these so are from presidents from other schools telling me this. And all I could do was look at the, my diploma hanging on the wall. Say, this is my alma mater. There's nothing I can do about this, you know? So I mean, in terms of the school, that's where some of that comes from. Uh, just for whatever reason, a sentimental you know, fool in, in that sense. In terms of the chiropractic profession, it's all I've ever known for, as, from a, as a young child. I grew up in and around this profession. It's all I've ever known. So I think that's part of the reason. But, you know, I got to tell you, if, you know, from the pragmatic part of me, looks at the state of the profession, looks at the state of the planet, okay? Because, you know, I've read all the books on global warming and I've watched all the documentaries and all that sort of stuff. If you listen to the experts, it's too late. With global warming, it's too late. That that piece of the Antarctic uh, uh, ice sheet that is melting so rapidly—that they didn't realize it was melting as rapidly as it is—I mean, it's major stuff. That probably is only going to affect you guys at sort of at the end of your lifetimes, but it's going to affect my son certainly, you know, during his lifetime. So, you know, why bother? Why bother recycling? Right. My, it drives my wife nuts because I just what's the point? Right. I'm going to spend all this time sorting all this crap and it's not going to make any difference because that's what the experts said. It's too late. So do, we con- so, so do we continue to get up every day and try to make chiropractic better? when we, we, we may not even have a planet in 100 years that's livable. You know, so I mean, these are, these are good questions. Ah, uh, date. Listen, let's hope so. I mean, so we should just stop just that, right. I mean, that's part of what you have to. That's. I mean, I think that's the the conclusion you have to come to, right? I mean, on my desk, if you've been in my office, uh, well, now I have a couple of things. I have a unicorn that somebody gave me recently. <laughs> it shits rainbows. It's beautiful. And right next to my unicorn now, I have a bottle of Kool-Aid. I don't know if anybody's sat in my office and wondered what that bottle is. Right? I mean, that, that bottle of Kool-Aid was given to uh, us, all of the uh, leadership team under Ben Despain when he was president here. And he gave us each a bottle of Kool-Aid, and he said, I better not ever see that empty on your desk. Right? He didn't want us to drink the Kool-Aid. He didn't want us to give up. He didn't want us to give in. Right? It'd be so much easier to just give in. You know how much easier my life would be if I did what everybody else around here does? I mean, imagine, I wouldn't have to get up at 3.30 in the morning anymore, okay? Because I get up at 3.30 in the morning so I can get here by 5, so I can get all my grading done, read all the papers, you know, because I actually give real assignments that have to actually be graded, <laughs> right? So there's two hours, two, four, six, there's six hours out of my week that I could be putting into my own business, right? And I don't get paid for those extra two hours, by the way, that I'm, when I'm here at 5 o'clock in the morning from 5 to 7 nobody's paying me for that right? so I don't have to do that I mean I could just give you irats I could just put the old tests out there give you all the exams ahead of time give you that give you the exam the week ahead of time take the exam everybody passes nobody fails right? I don't have to grade or read a thing right you turn in your senior research paper if it's got your name on it and there's letters on the paper a right imagine how much easier my life would be I mean I'm only contracted to this institution 20 hours a week. 20 hours. It's all I have to give. I don't have to give any more. I don't have to come here like I do on my days off or on times when I don't have to. It would be so much easier to just say the hell with it. It would be so much easier even, even within the profession outside of here to just go along with the cartel. I'd be making a lot more money business-wise if I was going along with the cartel. I've had people in the cartel tell me that. They're like, don't you understand how much money you're losing by giving us such a hard time? Yeah. So I don't know. I think uh, part of it, I think, just has to do with values and how it was brought up. And, you know, sometimes I wish I wasn't. But for now, the Kool Aid's on my desk. <laughs> so that's all I can say. I haven't, I haven't given up hope yet. Uh, and I may be foolish for that. But yeah. become friends with and colleagues with some of these other medical professionals and if they come to those meetings with us and actually edit by the providers within their boundaries? Well, I mean, that's a it's a good question and a good point. And the medical profession is doing that. Okay, The medical profession actually has, I forget the name of the committee, but it is a committee that is actively watching these states where other types of healthcare providers are trying to expand their scope. Okay, and, they're, and to be honest with you, they're not really that worried about chiropractors right now because I think they're smart enough to see that we're imploding from within. But what they're more focused on are like the nurses getting prescription rights and physician status, the physical therapist getting physician status and prescriptive rights, the optometrist getting prescription prescriptive rights the because psychi- everybody's trying to do it it's not just chiropractors that are trying to become medical doctors through the back door so the medical profession has an organized effort I mean they have a committee in every state set up they've all websites set up for this so they are actively paying attention to this so it's it's a good uh, tool to use if you're in a state and this stuff is happening to try to engage you know sometimes the enemy of my enemy is my friend and so sometimes it's good to engage those people. That's what happened in Colorado. When they were pushing drugs in Colorado, the medical organizations stepped in. 19 separate medical societies and organizations, including the state medical board, stepped in and sued the Colorado Chiropractic Association, filed suit against them, and stopped them dead in their tracks. Right? We, chiropractors didn't really have to do anything, because they brought the full force of the medical profession you know, to bear on them. Uh, so I would say yes. That's that can be a good tool to use. All right. All right. Let's call it quits. Thanks for your attention. We'll see you next week. Imagine you're aware of Amazon Smile. Yes. With and do y'all receive yep. significant any kind of money from them? One second. I'm Sorry. There. Go ahead.